riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. And this is by Albert Einstein. In essence, all he's telling us is to not give up and keep on moving in life. Welcome to another exciting episode of Podcast with Sheila. Today, we are going to be hearing from someone who knows what it is like to give up in life, yet he managed to achieve immeasurable results. With me is Darren Jacqueline. Darren is a business and real estate investor, a philanthropist and board of director with X. X World Holdings. Hello, Darren, and welcome to Portland. Hi, Sheila. I'm grateful to be here today, and thank you so much for allowing me to be on your show to make a difference. Thank you very much for honoring our invitation. So what will your favorite quote be? You know, one of my favorite quotes is, time will either promote you or time will expose you. It's just a matter of time. So when you think about that and you unpack that, time will either promote me or time will expose me. It's just a matter of time, whether I get promoted or get exposed. And so it comes down to our daily habits and our daily routines of what we're doing in our lives. And the key thing is, is like, you know, for example, earlier this year, I realized, you know, during COVID-19, during the lockdown, I was closer to the refrigerator because I was at home a lot more versus traveling. So I gained weight. And so guess what? Over that COVID lockdown period of time, I didn't get promoted with my health and fitness and nutrition. I got exposed. And so it works in, in our relationships, works in our finances, our health, our job, our career, our personal lives, and also our integrity. Because without integrity, nothing works. There's no workability without integrity. And so I, one of my favorite quotes is, time will either promote you or time will expose you. It's just a matter of time. This is good. This is good. This is good. Tell us a little bit about Darren. Who is Darren? Where does he come from? Let's, uh, listeners get to know who our guest is for today. Sure. Yeah, great question. So I'm a Canadian born and raised. I've traveled the world multiple times. Uh, my formative years, my younger years growing up, my backstory is I actually um, went to public school and I failed grade one of public education and was misdiagnosed with a learning disability and a reading disability. And I was labeled retarded. And it was determined by the school uh, system to put me into special education classes. So I never went to regular public school from grade one all the way through to grade 12. I was in a small little classroom with special education students. And I just, at a young age, didn't feel I fit in, Sheila. It wasn't, wasn't me. I just feel there's nothing wrong with me. My parents, great parents, did the best they could. They just conformed to the school system with what the experts said that I had a learning disability and a reading disability. So I really struggled with my self-confidence, my self-esteem. And when I was seven years of age, I, as we call it today, entrepreneurship, I didn't know what it was back then. I created my first little business called Rent-A-Kid. And in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Canada, a city of population of less than 20,000 people, I would go out in my neighborhood, a middle-income neighborhood, and I would cut grass. I would shovel snow in the wintertime and deliver newspapers six days a week. And by the time I was nine years of age, I hired my best friends in my neighborhood to come work with me on a team. And we went out and just took over the, the neighborhood. And it's interesting, you know, I'm 49 years of age today. I feel like I'm 16 years old with the enthusiasm and energy and vitality. But my friends, we're going 40 years ago when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. I'm still great friends because of social media today with those two friends that helped me when I was a little kid growing up. And then I got into junior high and high school, struggled academically. It was not for me. I was a daydreamer. I was a kid who looked out the window of the classroom and think about where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And I used to get in trouble for that. I used to get in, you know, have to get sent out of class and get a talking to from the teachers about daydreaming. Yet today, I use it in my daily life as a visionary called dream building. And I go out and I dream build all the time as I'm looking at buying companies and buying real estate and growing the portfolio and growing the family foundation. 
And so um, I barely passed public high school. In fact, grade 11, I was taken out of class one day by a guidance counselor and a school teacher. And they asked me what I want to do if, the question was, if I graduate from grade 12 from, from public high school, and so I want to travel around the world, I want to do great things, I want to serve humanity, I want to make a big difference. And they looked at each other and they laughed and they said, well, kids like you are a throwaway. Kids like you don't ever amount to much. You, you don't have the academic marks. You're never going to amount to much. You're not good physically because you suck in phys ed classes. Um, you may get a job working for the government or for the union or in a, in a sawmill or oil and gas, but you're not going to amount to much. So we don't want to get your hopes up high and we want to manage your expectations. And so we want to in that. And so it really damaged my self-confidence because they were role models to me. Yeah. So I left that that day and I thought, man, I, I, I hope I graduate from grade 12 and I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I, I did graduate from grade 12 and then I did multiple suicide attempts to end my life. I had no direction. I had no focus, I had no purpose. And uh, my final attempt of doing suicide at driving my car at 140 kilometers an hour, 85 miles per hour towards a telephone pole, I decided to stop my car. I got scared and I chickened out. And I decided to drive myself into a 24 hour telephone crisis line prevention center. It was a nonprofit organization. And I rang their doorbell and I said, I need to turn myself in. I'm trying to commit suicide. Lady brought me in who was a counselor and she started to counsel me. This is back in the early 1990s. And then they referred me to a Dale Carnegie training program. And from Dale Carnegie training program, I got introduced through a lady there uh, called Toastmasters International, which is a global public speaking leadership organization in many countries and continents, been around for decades. Those two organizations, the Dale Carnegie training and Toastmasters transformed my environment, my life. And it's introduced me to positive people and different role models and different mentors. And also Sheila, there was people in that group that believed more in me than I believed in myself. And that's why I created a book called Until I Become, because until I become, I was not, I didn't know my future. It was, I didn't know. But now I realize until I become is so important because every one of us, and that's why I love doing these podcasts, because I'm planting seeds in people's mindsets. If you look at me as a case study, as somebody with a lot of adversities and failures and challenges who had to overcome a lot of perseverance, you know, being labeled a retarded, uh, being in special education, low self-esteem, a lot of fears, doubts, worries, insecurities, and what I've accomplished today in business and in finances around the world globally and statistically is, is just mind-boggling to most people when they research me and do a deep dive on due diligence. Yeah. But I'm, I'm a case study today of showing you that the human spirit is possible of what you can accomplish, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what your environment is, where you grew up, no matter what your, your limiting beliefs or belief system is. If you look at me, and, and I've made tons of mistakes, and I've screwed up, and I've been ups and downs, and I've been financially busted up a few times in my life, and I've been homeless, eating my next meal out of a garbage dumpster, um, and I've had a chance to you know fly private and do extraordinary things around the world that people could only ever imagine they would see in movies and magazines today. So I've, I've had the duality of both, but I've also learned too that at my stage and age in my life now, there's certain daily habits and daily routines that if you do them consistently, compounded over a period of time, you will produce consistent, specific, measurable, and actionable results. And I'm, I've, I've served many people around this planet from all walks of humanity, from all different age groups of all different skill set levels. And uh, you know, I get thank you letters and cards and emails on a frequent basis from people all over the world saying, wow, that airplane ride or me guest speaking at a conference or doing this podcast or them soon to be reading my book, all these different things is, is to me, it's about transforming the human spirit. 
right? And creating that ripple of impact. And that's what drives me is, you know, acts of service is being in service to humanity because I learned years ago on a humanitarian trip, actually to Africa, where you're from, the yeah. continent of Africa, that the secret to living is giving. The secret to living is giving. So become a go-giver rather than a go-getter. Wow. Let, let's take it from here. How did you end up living on the streets, going on welfare and all that? Let's get that story. Great, great question. So when I was growing up, with my rent kid business and doing odd jobs around my neighborhood and looking at different opportunity zones to solving problems. And one thing I discovered is that, you know, we don't have money problems in life. We only have thinking problems. There's no lack of financial resources on this planet. There's an overflowing abundance. What there is, is there's a lack of thinking mindset in terms of solving problems. And so when I was growing up as a teenager, I was stacking cash. I was accumulating money and putting into a bank account because I was living at home. My parents were paying all the overhead expenses. So I'd saved up a bunch of money over a period of time of many years growing up as a kid. And I had this cash reserve set aside. And when I moved out and away from my parents, I was at a birthday party and I was like 19, 20 years of age, very cocky and egotistical and arrogant and very insecure. So, you know, I learned years ago that confidence is quiet and insecurities is loud. Yeah. And I had a lot of insecurities, so I was very loud to get attention. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all over the place. I was very loud and very abrupt. And so that just because I didn't believe in myself, I had very insecure, a lot of insecurities, a lot of childhood traumas that I've worked with with professional people over the years now. And I'm grateful for those men and women on my life team. So I um, was at this birthday party, met two guys that were related and really excited about a startup company. And they were looking for an investor. And I thought, man, I got cash. I got good credit rating. And so I just drank the Kool-Aid and I got really excited and got really elated. I'm like, hey, I'll write the check. So the next day I went to the bank and withdrew tens of thousands of dollars in cash, gave it to him in a brown paper bag. This is back in the 1990s. So things are a little bit different today with our banking system, but this is back in the 1990s. Withdrew tens of thousands of dollars in cash, give it to him in a brown paper bag from a grocery store, and then sat down at the bank and co-signed all these lines of credits. Well, what happened was this startup company went bust. It went nowhere fast. Didn't become a hero, became a zero very fast. Oh my God. And with 120 business days, the bank called a demand loan. And what I didn't realize, because I didn't read any of the paperwork, I was very inexperienced, very immature, very egotistical, very cocky and arrogant at that time in my life because I was very insecure. What I realized that I'd signed at the bank that day a thing called a GSA, called a General Security Agreement. And basically a General Security Agreement, people can research or Google online. Basically, it's a document from a financial institution is where you're collateralizing any assets that you have. Basically, you're giving the institution permission that if you don't fall through on your agreement, they can go after and seize any assets you've got. It could be money in a bank account. It could be an automobile. Anything they got, they can touch it. They can monetize. They'll, they'll collateralize and, and take it from you. And that's what happened. I had a bailiff about 130 days later, showed up at my doorstep one day, knocked on my door. It was a Saturday morning. Uh, you know, I was renting this place. I, I, I had an automobile that I'd worked hard for years for, saving and earning and, you know, mowing lots of lawns and raking lots of leaves and doing odd jobs and delivering newspapers and shoveling sidewalks. And so it took me a lot of physical labor work to save up this money and protect this money. And uh, I bought this car with it. And the bailiff shows up at the door and he says, are you Darren Jacqueline? I said, yeah, he goes, you're being served. I said, what does that mean? This paperwork drops. He goes, we're here to repossess your automobile. 
you owe the bank money. The bank is under litigation with you. They're suing you. And I was scared, man. I had nobody to turn to, didn't know where to go. I was scared. I was embarrassed. I was way out of my comfort zone. So I give them the keys to the car. They took it. And they sold it at an auction to pay off some of the debt that I co-signed for. And the next seven years was a lot of peaks and valleys, roller coasters, suicidal thoughts, a lot of stress, overweight, sleepless nights. I was being sued. I had collections. These creditors after me. I owed money on the street. I had a bad name, bad reputation because I was just being a nice guy wanting to help these two guys with a startup company. So what did I learn? If we unpack this, I learned some very valuable lessons I want to share with everybody. Number one is always go through a discovery process and due diligence. If you don't know what that means, don't do it by yourself. Create a team of like-minded people who have a lot more history and experience than you. Discovery process and due diligence. Trust people, but also verify what they're saying to be accurate and true. Trust, but verify. Another thing is this. I really learned a valuable life lesson I want your listeners to write down. This, this is something I want you to remember for the rest of your life. This is, this is like a million dollars in the bank to you. Yeah. If you don't learn this lesson I'm going to share with you right now, you can end up living on the streets. When a person with money meets a person with experience, the person with the experience ends up with the money. I'll say that again. Mm-hmm. When a person with money meets a person with experience, the person with the experience ends up with the money. I had the money. And I met two gentlemen who had a startup business idea who had the experience. I didn't do any research, no discovery process, no due diligence, no background checks. I didn't do any, you know, understand of their industry. All I did is I went to the bank. I got excited. I got elated. I was looking for a get rich quick fantasy that I bought into. I got a dopamine fix from it. And my brain chemicals got going and I got excited. And what happens is when emotions are high, my intelligence was low. And I had very high emotions because I was elated and I was getting a dopamine fix of that. And I went to the bank and I withdrew all those money, tens of thousands of dollars. And so when I always remember that. Another thing is too, which is very, very important is there's three types of money. I'd like your listeners to write down three types of money. Step number one is calm money. It's calm money. It's kind of like a traffic light. It's the color green. So calm money means, yeah, you know, you build the relationship equity with somebody where they get to know you like you and trust you, it's calm money. Step number two is cautious money, cautious money. So when you meet somebody and they say, hey, Sheila, can I borrow 20 pounds from you until payday? You're like, no problem. That's calm money. Somebody calls you up or emails you and says, hey, Sheila, can I borrow 20 pounds? Right, because you're in the United Kingdom. You're like, till payday. You're like, yeah, I'm a little bit cautious. I don't know if I'm going to get this money paid back. I'm cautious. Mm -hmm. So calm, cautious, And step number three is nervous money, Mm. nervous money. So calm, cautious, or nervous money. And if we reflect in our lives for a moment, just think of that friend or family member or classmate or somebody we met at a nightclub or bar or someplace out there in the general public that we give them some money or we borrowed some articles of clothing or something. And if we trust our gut or intuition where we calm, cautious, or nervous, the majority of time when we really do a gut check authentically, we'll say, you know what? I was nervous. Yeah. But I wanted to look good. I didn't want to look stupid. Yeah. I didn't want to feel embarrassed. Mm. Right. I didn't want to have shame or guilt. Yeah. And, you know, because we do, a lot of times we do we make decisions based on emotions, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we buy an emotion and we justify things with logic. Yeah. And so calm, cautious, or nervous money. And so my invitation to people as part of listening to this podcast today, as part of training development, is the next time you make a financial purchase, whether online or in person, 
Start to build that muscle, that financial muscle. Is your money calm, cautious, or nervous? Every time you do a financial transaction, just ask yourself, play the game. Am I calm, cautious, or nervous? And you'll build your gut, your intuition, your street smart intelligence. You'll, you'll realize that all of a sudden it becomes like an autopilot. Like when I go buy things now and I transact financially, it's like, a, it's like an autoresponder in my brain because I've done it so much time, timing through repetition. Um, it's like calm, cautious, or nervous. And sometimes now when Tech Tina, you know, we have a portfolio of companies and we're, we're, we're a private equity firm that we have out of the United States. And, and so we invest money and involve a lot of things. And so my team have been highly trained and developed to look at when we're doing briefings or debriefings or discovery calls or we're in due diligence process, looking at data rooms and things like that. We're always going back and forth. Are we calm, cautious, or nervous if we're going to write the check with money? And you'd be mm. amazed. It's, it's a game changer when you start to apply this in your life, realizing, am I calm, cautious, or nervous? Wow. So in essence, you're saying that we should actually be spending or giving out money when we are calm. Is it? Of course. When we're calm. Yeah. We're in a calm state. If we're cautious, do more research, do more due diligence, you know, get a chartered accountant or an attorney involved, get a mentor or coach, somebody with more history and experience. Don't do it by yourself as part of the discovery. See, most people, what happens is, and I'll give you an example with social media today, and I get this frequently, you know, frequently I get messages in my inbox on LinkedIn or Facebook or other social media channels. Uh, people picture me on cryptocurrency deals and network mm -hmm. marketing companies. You probably mm -hmm. get them as well. All the time, inundated into your inbox. And join this opportunity. Get involved in this. Put money into this. And what happens is people go ahead and they get excited. They get elated, right? Because a lot of, you know, if we look at statistics in North America, for example, 78% of the United States American Canadian population live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. The average American citizen or Canadian citizen access to about $400, mm -hmm. whether it's US dollars or Canadian dollars, our currency. So people are always looking for the lottery ticket mentality. They're always looking for the get rich quick. Yeah. Well, what's going to happen yeah. is you're going to get broke faster. I was on that track in my 20s and I'm living proof of being homeless on the streets. I got broke faster and I got a bad reputation, completely out of integrity, bad credit score. In fact, when I went homeless, when I coast on these loans and they repossessed my car, I actually got evicted, Sheila, from my home where I was living. I was renting. I got evicted and I got all my utilities cut off, got my credit card canceled and the bank was suing me. So I couldn't borrow any money. So I had to go on welfare and I had to go to what they call a money mart here in North America. Basically, it's a, like a payday loan place. I had to cash my welfare check at the money mart. And, I, and one thing I learned with money marts is they have they have they charge a lot of money in terms of transaction fees to do that so i welfare doesn't pay you much money you're just barely getting by with the necessities and then they take a whopping fees on on the transaction to do my welfare check because i had my government identification my driver's license but i had no place to live because the bank was suing me and so i was embarrassed every time I, so i was on welfare for a few months and i get my welfare check and i was sleeping in an apple orchard right now you remember i'm in a first world country and you yeah. know, from being in Africa, yeah. being third world, yeah. like, like my, my problems, my challenges were like a dream to some people living in a third world country in India or Africa mm. or other parts mm. of the planet. But I was living in a first world and I had first world problems. And um, so I was living in an apple orchard. I wouldn't go to the food bank because I was too embarrassed. I had too big of an ego and I didn't want to look bad because yeah. I had this image of wanting to look good, not wanting to look bad. And I didn't want to make my parents feel bad. And my parents were great parents. But they couldn't understand why when I left school, why did these people get a job? Why didn't I just, why, why was I becoming this entrepreneur? Why was I so inconsistent 
with going after my dreams of once I started to be able to dream because in Toastmasters, people started to believe in me when I didn't believe in myself. So they planted those seeds in my mind that it was possible that I actually could do things. So my income was always up and down in my 20s and 30s. And now in my 40s, you know, I've got my money right. And I'm financially independent today, but I went through a lot of struggles. And, you know, so I know it's like to be upside down financially and be in bad debt and have a bad credit rating and have collections, these creditors, you know, phoning me, sending me demand letters and also show up my doorstep, knocking my door saying, hey, you owe us money. So I've been there. And also it's nice to, to make millions of dollars. I've done both. And so I know how to not do things financially. And I know how to do things where I'm very good today and multiplying money. In fact, today, you know, Titan and I with Link Foundation, which is our family foundation, we've committed 100 million US dollars over the next 10 years towards global philanthropy projects. And I think we'll do it in six years. I don't think it'll take 10. I think we'll do it in six years. That's, that's my bet anyways. I'm speculating here right now, but that's my bet. But, uh, and I'm not driven by money. What I'm driven by is freedom. I like to have choices and options in my life. Mm -hmm. I don't like being told what to do. And I like to go wherever I want, whenever I want, however I want, with whomever I want. I like to go to bed, go to bed when I'm tired. I like to wake up when I'm done sleeping. People say, how do you do that? I say consistently is an answer. So I never used to think this way. I went through a whole mindset transition period of time. So a lot of personal professional training development and having mentors and coaches and read a lot of books and taking a lot of uh, massive action in my life. And learn from the massive action, but I'm grateful today because I, I know when it comes to finances, I know when it comes to growing and scaling your life or your business, there's things that you do and things you don't do. And the key thing is metric them, you know, keep track. I didn't in my younger days metric things. You know, I have an Apple watch right now. I metric everything because numbers don't lie, but people do. Sure. So how did you move from um, being bankrupt to where you are today? What was the first step you took yeah, good question. from there? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. So I went in to declare personal bankruptcy. I actually met with a, I think it's called a bankruptcy trustee. So I actually booked an appointment, went in to see a bankruptcy trustee. Um, I was so disorganized. I didn't have any paperwork. So I had all these collection notices and demand notices. I had a few of them, but it was all scattered all over the place. Much different in my life today. Everything is all meticulously organized because I've got very smart people that run all the back, back behind the scenes things and dot all the I's across all the T's. But I was very disorganized back then with paperwork and administrative stuff. I went in one day to see a bankruptcy trustee and uh, she went through the paperwork that, you know, the collection notices and, and all the debt I owed and from co-sign all these loans and lines of credit. And she looked at me, she goes, you know, Mr. Jacqueline, you're in your mid twenties now. Um, you know, it's gonna take seven to 10 years to reset your credit rating to get it back to a high credit rating, seven to 10 years, which is by that time you'll be in your mid to mid thirties yeah. and uh, you'll be fine. And um, so she says, I can, I can file for bankruptcy for you here in Canada. And she goes, how would you like to take care of my fee today? It's $1,600 Canadian. And I said, well, I'd like to finance it. I'm working part-time at a watermelon farm for cash. And the guy pays me every Friday when he goes into the farmer's market. And when I meet with the farmer and he pays me cash, I can give you money every Friday. So I can come in and meet with you face-to-face -face, or you can meet me at the farmer's market where I'm working and I can give you cash there. And she goes, no, no, hold on a second here. That's not the way our business runs. You, you pay the $1,600 Canadian today. And I said, well... I, I don't got any money. Like I'm flat broke. Like I had to borrow money to get here to yeah. come meet with you today, oh. you know, take public transit to get here. I said, I don't, I don't, I don't have any money. And she says, um, well, she said, who can you call? I said, well, I, I can't call anybody because those phone calls have already been made and nobody will return my phone calls because I owe them all money. Oh. <laughs> she says, what about friends or family? I said, I owe them all money. And she goes, what about other people? I owe them all the money. I, I, I can't call them because I owe them money. 
all the phone calls have been made. And I always remember, Sheila, she looks at me and she takes my file folder, she closes it up and she hands it to me. She says, well, Mr. Jacqueline, it's been a great pleasure meeting you here today. We can't do business together. Good luck. Just so you know, I said, well, what, do you, what is this? They're like, what do I do? I need yeah. some direction and guidance. So she says, Mr. Jacqueline, you cannot afford to go bankrupt because I couldn't pay the fees. <laughs> so I, so people ask me, they go, have you ever been bankrupt? I said, I couldn't afford it because I couldn't pay the fees. So back then I was, I wasn't, you know, I laugh at it now, but back then I was squirming in my chair, really scared and, and terrified. So I left that day thinking, what do I do? Yeah. So what I did is I, I went out there and I got a job with a national magazine here in Canada as a telephone marketer. And I saw it in, 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 you know, in the newspaper back then. And, and I responded to the ad of the newspaper and got the interview successfully. And I went to work making 400 telephone calls a shift, selling yeah. magazines across Canada, telephone solicitation, Monday to Friday, 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. We called it home intrusion hours. And I used to call people between 5 and 9 p.m. Monday to Friday. When they got home from work and they're sitting down to have family and maybe watch dinner, or, I mean, eat dinner or watch television, I would call them during that time and solicit to them on the phone selling magazines. And within seven months, I became the number one telemarketer in Canada based on my numbers, based on my statistics of making phone calls and converting to closes of magazine subscriptions. Mm. After seven months, my boss came to me and he said, Darren, you know, we really, because it was a high attrition rate, high turnover rate in that industry. People, everybody's smoking. I didn't smoke, never smoked a cigarette in my life, but there'd right. be a cloud of cigarette smoke above us in our cubicles at this uh, telemarketing office. And I just sometimes be coughing and yeah. nose all stuffed up talking to a mirror. And it was interesting. I learned a lot. Like I became rejection proof when you're selling magazines over the phone. So what happened was after seven months, my boss came to me and said, Darren, listen, you can't go any further. We can't pay any more money. There's no more bonuses here. Like you've reached the dead end. Yeah. You've reached the peak. And I said to him, I said, Glenn, what do you think I should do? And he says, Darren, I think you should go off on your own and pursue the speaking business. You know, you're okay. getting really good in Toastmasters and Dale Carnegie's taught you a lot. I think you really serve humanity in doing this. And I was terrified, scared, because I wanted that paycheck. I was yeah. getting paid every two weeks. And I was, I was, I was yeah. getting my, my minimum wage dollars plus my financial bonuses. So I got a little extra gravy every two weeks. And that felt good to have a couple hundred dollars extra bonus money every two weeks. And I was attached to that, coming yeah. from a lack and scarcity mindset. And um, he said, Darren, you need to go off on your own. And I was totally terrified because I was so insecure about my finances about how i'm going to make my bills on time because i come there not paying my bills on time and having bad credit i'm like man i got a paycheck now i got i got some security coming i got some cash coming every two weeks okay i can i can keep my head above water and put some food in the fridge and keep the lights yeah, on yeah, yeah yeah and i was terrified and he said go off so i went off on my own i went out and knocked on a lot of doors and i went to telephone companies and i went and got their telephone books because we used to use paper telephone books mm. From 1995 to the year 2000, Sheila, I made over 100,000, 100,000 cold calls on my own, smiling and dialing for dollars, selling my corporate training services. And you've read my biography, yeah. you know, from 1995 to 2015, I traveled 23 years in 48 countries on four continents. I personally trained and developed over 1 million people in 48 countries on four continents, including 157 of the fortune 500 companies wrote me a check to transact with them to do corporate training like mind-boggling when you look back at that but i had perseverance i hustled i grinded 
You know, some companies took 10 years of follow-up before they finally said yes. I had one Fortune 500 company, 17 years of follow-up before they finally engaged and said yes and did a contract with me to come in and do corporate training services. 17 years of rejection of no, no. Every quarter, four to six times a year, Hmm. I'd follow up with a phone call to the HR department, human resource department, and they would say no to me. And so I know what perseverance is. That's why I'm skilled at what I do now because I know what it takes to succeed and to win and how to persevere and overcome adversities and challenges and financial setbacks. And no matter what people are, I used to have the worst credit score. I used to be an R9 credit score in Canada. Anybody who's Canadian that's watching this or you like to do research or in the financial institute, research what an R9 credit score is in Canada. Basically, it's worst case scenario of what you can get for, you know, on a credit report. I had R9, like, 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 like nobody, even, even, um, you know, high risk money shark people like wouldn't even lend me money. You know what I mean? Like, like, it was just, there was no chance it was too high risk me paying it back. And today, you know, I'm, I'm very financially successful yeah. and, um, and I've done very, very well and have a phenomenal financial statement and, and balance sheet. And, 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 and why? Well, I'll tell you why. So when I was on welfare and I'm homeless, I'm living in this apple orchard. Um, I'm getting my welfare check after I cash it to Money Mart. In North America, we have a thing called 7-Eleven convenience stores. And um, they're 24-hour, 365 convenience stores. And I used to go to a convenience, 7-Eleven convenience store here in Canada. And I lived on less than $2 a day, Canadian dollars, $2 a day. Now I know that statistically around the world, there's a few billion people on the planet that live on less than $2.50 a day. So coming from first world, I can relate to that. And I would go into the 7-Eleven convenience store every day and live on a hot dog and a Slurpee or a hot dog and a super big gulp, basically a soft drink, Mm. Coca-Cola. And I mixed with ice. Mm-mm. And for a couple months, that's all I lived on every day. Now, what I didn't realize, because I was consistent every mm-hmm. day going in mm-hmm. and doing that, I was developing a mental muscle, a okay. financial discipline. Yeah. What I realized later on in my life was there's three steps to money. Step number one is to earn money. Yeah. Right. So step number one is to earn money. Yeah. Most people can do that around the world. We can go to work and we can earn money. We can make an honest living. So we yeah. can earn money. Step number two is harder for most people. That's where you got to save it and you got to yeah. protect the money. You got to protect it because most people, what they do when they get paid, they go shopping, they go yeah. expend things, they go pay yeah. bills and, and they go, you know, do things with it. And then they live paycheck to paycheck and they're financially broke every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Right. So number two is to protect the money and keep it safe. And then step number three is to multiply the money. Right. So step number one is to earn it. Number two is to protect it, keep it safe. Number three is to multiply it. And I am grateful for the blessing in disguise. It was an absolute blessing. And I count my blessings every day. I'm so grateful for this with gratitude that while I was going every day to the 7 convenience store over that period of time, that I was developing a financial muscle on how to multiply money. And today I use that skill and that strategy very well. And the results are incredible for me in my life of what I achieve and my inner circle, how I train and develop them as well. And so nothing's ever in our way. It's only on our way. And so I never, when, when things happen to me, I never say, why are things happening to me? Mm-hmm. I always say, why, are, why is this happening for me? It's a different mm-hmm. mindset. Why yeah. is this happening to me? No. Why is this happening to me? Or why is this happening for oh. me? It's a gift. It's a blessing in disguise. We just have to unfold it, unpackage it, and see, wow, there's a blessing here. Right? Because if we look at ourselves as human beings, Sheila, right? If we, we're up at the International Space Station looking down on planet Earth, we're just all these human beings running around in meat suits, 
disguised as avatars. And guess what? We're just a network of conversations as human beings. We're a network of conversations. It's all what we are. We're a network of conversations. Anything that you and I want in our lives is going to come from strangers. I learned this as a young kid with my rent <laughs> business, knocking on doors, shoveling sidewalks, delivering newspapers, cutting grass, that anything we want in our lives is going to come from networking, having conversations with people. But there's different ways of doing it. One of the ways to not do it, which a lot of people on social media do today, is mm-hmm. they'll they'll reach out to you, Sheila, and they'll send yeah. you a friend request. Yeah. And yeah. you'll accept the friend request on LinkedIn or Facebook as an yeah. example. Yeah. And then boom, right into your inbox, they're pitching yeah. you on their product or service. Yeah. And that becomes transactional rather than relational. Mm-hmm. And then you feel you feel you're not attracted to that person. You you want to withdraw and avoid from that yeah. person. So the key thing is is to educate and inform people rather than pitch and sell people. A lot mm-hmm. of people are financially broken up there. The reason why is they're pitching and selling people their product or service or business opportunity. And it's transactional versus relational because yeah. nobody knows you, likes you, or trusts you yet because you've not established and built that relationship equity yet. And that relationship equity takes time to mature and build over a period of time. But most people are running out of lack and scarcity. That's their operating system in their mindset is lack and scarcity versus abundance and prosperity. And I used to be that way. I used to live totally out of lack and scarcity. I'd go into a restaurant when I could financially afford to go into a restaurant and I'd always read the menu from right to left. How much do things cost? And I decide what I want to eat. When I go to the petrol station, the gas station, how much is gasoline? How much are things in the grocery store? Total lack and scarcity mindset versus focus on how can I make more money? Yeah. I was running around trying through lack and scarcity, trying to save money and trying to hoard and protect things and just contract versus expand. And what I realized through my mindset is that we do not have money problems in life. We only have thinking problems. Like there's no lack of money. You want to make money? What's the fastest path to cash? Go solve problems for the people. Next time you watch a news media broadcast, look at all the things that people are having challenges or crisis or problems with. Whenever a company's laying off employees, those employees got to go someplace. Whenever there's challenges in the media, natural disasters, right? Construction, repairs. There's so many different opportunities ones that get created out of there. So turn the crisis into an opportunity zone mm-hmm. and start to realize all the blessings in disguise. I, when I see things during COVID-19, my business is just skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. Friends around me just skyrocketed. Hiring people, financial growth and development, growth and scale, all kinds of things went on. Why? Because we see opportunity zones everywhere because that's our mindset. So when somebody says to you, oh my gosh, I've got money problems, I always say, well, great. You don't have enough money or you got too much money? Which one is it? People are like, what do you mean too much money? Friends I hang out with got money problems. They got so much financial, multiple revenue streams of money mm-hmm. coming in actively and passively. They don't know where to allocate it into investments, yeah. income producing assets. You know, when text messaging came out, right? Today, globally, we text message all over the world with our mobile phones. And, and I always ask people, what was the biggest problem that the people or person that, uh, and I don't know who the man or woman is that solved that created text messaging, but what was the biggest problem they solved in the world? Mm-hmm. And people said, well, advanced communication. I said, yeah. but what problem did it solve? And they go, communication. I don't have to call somebody. I have to leave a voicemail. I said, what problem did it solve? What are you solving for? She know, the biggest problem that uh, text messaging solved was if I'm hearing impaired and I'm deaf and I only know sign language and you don't, we can't communicate to each other. But if I'm hearing impaired and, I, and I'm deaf and I can only communicate through sign language, if you have a mobile phone, I have a mobile phone and we mm-hmm. exchange mobile numbers to each other, mm-hmm. we can now communicate through text messaging. Mm-hmm. 
We solve the global problem. Yeah. With yeah. that. Yeah. So the bigger the problems that you solve in the world, the more financially you can get paid for it. I'll give you an example. You love your children very much. If I took your kids away from you and your kids were entirely safe and you had a certain goal or dream or desire or wish that you wanted to achieve. And here's where I'm going with this. A lot of times we'll do more for other people mm -hmm. than we will for ourselves. That's why I've dedicated $100 million over the next 10 years towards global philanthropy projects through Link Foundation, which is our family foundation. Now, people say $100 million, $100 million, that's a lot of money. I don't really think it is anymore because there's a lot of big global problems that we got to solve in terms of global, global philanthropy. Now, the thing is, what I've done is I've dedicated my life to a cause greater than myself. So what I want you to consider thinking about, and all your listeners around the world that are listening, Think about what you're thinking about is what could you dedicate your life to other than yourself? Because you'll, you'll do things for yourself, mm -hmm. but you'll do more for others, your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, your partner, your neighborhood, your community, your faith, your religion, right? You'll do more for other people, other things, protecting the animals, protecting the environments, protecting the arts, right? All these things that you'll do. So think about in your life, what could you dedicate your life to? So you might, you might say, hey, I'm, I'm going to start offering product. I'm just making this up. I'm speculating here. I'm going to start offering, you know, advertising on my podcast and before or after a little commercial. And we're going to charge financially for that commercial as an example. And 10% of the net proceeds from that advertising revenue is going to go to sponsor women in Ghana, West Africa that are in a village. And we're going to buy them sewing machines and we're going to buy them beads and we're going to be able to help create economic developments in that village to alleviate from poverty and to empower these women to become working women in the, in the villages. And so when you're out there talking to business owners saying, listen, I've got this podcast, we're getting some more traction, we're getting more ratings, we're going more global. I'd love for you to be a paid sponsor in this. And just so you know, it's not about me. It's not about my podcast. I'm just getting the message out there. We're actually, we're actually supporting a cause where I'm from in Ghana, West Africa. Now you will get up every day early, go to bed late because you're on a mission now to serve because you want to make sure these women in the village in, in Ghana, West Africa are being taken care of. And then once a year, every two years, you do a humanitarian trip. You go back there. You go meet with the village, ladies in the village. You sit around a campfire. You hear their stories. You hear their testimonials of the difference that you're making to the ripple of impact by you just making a decision, hey, I want to serve somebody. So yeah. that's what I've always done in my life is I've always dedicated my life to a cause greater than myself because then you're not working for thinking, oh, I just got to work to pay the bills every month. Because I used to do that. Oh my gosh, got to pay the bills. Got to pay the rent. Got to pay yeah, the yeah, landlord. Yeah. Got to yeah. pay the grocery store. Yeah. Now, now there's a greater mission mm -hmm. that you want to do something greater. And the thing is that when you're out there to serve and solve problems in humanity, whatever that is, every human being is different. Whatever that is, you dedicate your life to a cause for yourself, money will come to you. Money will come to you. People, you know, I was, I was just at an event three days ago. I was guest speaking at a real estate conference here in Canada. I was, somebody asked, we we're doing question and answer and somebody put their hand, they were asking about Link Foundation, our foundation. And I started you know, sharing what the mission and vision, our strategic roadmap is of what we're going to do in terms of what we're solving for and how we're metricing our KPIs, our key performance indicators, and how we're going to solve these global philanthropy pro projects with what we're working for with Link Foundation. I had people coming up to me at the break offering to hand me cash. 
So we, we record, we metric everything, keep track of everything, document everything, we're in total compliance and integrity and all that. But all is because I was sharing from my heart, my vulnerability, my authenticity of what my mission and vision is in life. Yeah. People felt inspired to want to contribute to the cause and make a difference. Whoa. So there's never a lack or shortage of money. Mm-hmm. There's just a lack of ideas, strategy, and follow through with action. And the key thing is, so here's one thing to consider. Something I learned the hard way. You know, I, I always got elated and always got a dopamine fix, Sheila. And I always wanted to look at the upside of things. And I always wanted the positives and I always wanted the goodies and all the rewards. And what I realized with most people around the world is they don't want to endure both pain and pleasure on their road to accomplishing their goals and mm-hmm. dreams. Mm-hmm. I always share with people that you're going to get hugged and you're going to get slugged. Yeah. You're going to get kissed and you're mm-hmm. going to get kicked. kicked you're yeah. going to get supported and you're going to get challenged. Mm-hmm. You have to have a balance, a law of duality of both. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like I just recently in the last eight months have taken up hiking at a very extreme level here in Canada. I'm down 31 pounds of releasing weight. Mm -hmm. I didn't lose it. I I released it. See, that's the difference in mindset. When I say I lose weight, then my brain wants to go look for weight again. Because whenever you lose something, you want to go find it. Yeah. So when you release it, it's gone for good. So Mm -hmm. I don't lose weight. I released weight. Okay. Okay. How I language things. I released the weight, not lost it. And so the thing is, I'm down 31 pounds. I'm in the best physical shape of my life at 49 years of age. I've multiplied my energy. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing to consider is in, with people in their lives, a lot of times they'll look at what's the return on investment, the ROI. What's in it for me? What's the return on investment? Something I want you to also start metricing in your life and keeping track of, what's the ROE? What's the return on energy? Mm. Return on energy. So when I started hiking, for example, I struggled. I was, you know, I, I, how I got to be in phenomenal shape where I'm climbing some of the biggest mountains in Canada now in the last eight months mm. from starting from nothing to some of the biggest mountains in Canada, because it's a metaphor to me of what, what, how big of a game can I play? What can I accomplish safely? I also have a great hiking team that I've created and assembled with other like-minded people mm-hmm. where I have a lot of camaraderie and community, a lot of fun and support in terms of safety and strength in numbers. But what I realized was when I first started, I was really intimidated by some of the men and women in our hiking group. Why? Yeah. Because these men and women work out five, six, seven days a week at a fitness center and they got the muscles and they got the body and they got the abs. <laughs> I don't have any of that stuff. I'm on track for it, but I've got a ways to go. But you know what I realized? That if I was just small, daily, consistent, measurable steps, consistently come out over a period of time, right? Um, that, I, that I could get better and better. And, and now I lead some of these hiking groups. I lead some of these nine to 12 hour hikes. And the men and women that I started with are stopping and going, stopping and going. Again, no disrespect for them. But what I did is I got focused. I, stay, I got really, really focused on just consistently taking action. It's like reading books. So I, I grew up as a kid with a learning disability and a reading disability. And I told it never amount to much in my life until I met a gentleman one time in a Rotary International Club. I was guest speaking on behalf of Toastmasters at a Rotary Club. And I shared in my um, presentation that I had a learning disability and a reading disability. And during the break, one of the Rotarians came over to me and he goes, can I talk to you for a moment just outside? So he took me outside the, the uh, seminar area for the Rotary Club. And he said, listen, I just want to correct you on something. I'm a little bit older than you. He goes, rather than saying you have a learning disability and a reading disability, mm-hmm. I would say you don't have that. He goes, let me ask you a question, Darren. He goes, can you read 10 pages a day of a really good book? I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, is it easy to read 10 pages a day? I said, yes, sir. He goes, is it easy not to read 10 pages a day of a good book? I said, yes, sir. He goes, that's the difference. It's easy to do and it's easy not Not to to do. do. 
And that's the difference where you separate people over a period of time. It's easy to do and it's easy not to do. So it's easy to do 10 push-ups a day. Mm -hmm. It's easy not to do 10 push-ups a day. It's easy to pick up a book and read 10 pages a day. It's easy not to. But if you take, let's use um, reading a book, for example, if you read 10 pages a day times 365 days in a year, that's 3,650 pages, which equals about 12 to 15 books a year cover to cover. Yeah. Now people say, well, Darren, I don't like to read books. I'm an audio learner. I'm an auditory learner. Great. Mm -hmm. You can download Audible. And the average person over 19 years of age that has a motor vehicle, they will commute on average that live in a major city. They will commute on average of 500 hours per calendar year in, in, in drive time. Yeah. Well, guess what? Most colleges and universities, if you look at a semester of education, it's around four to 500 hours per calendar year in a semester. So if you turn your vehicle or your earbuds while you're on an airplane, I'm flying tomorrow to the United States of America from Canada here. I have my routine where I journal on, my, on, on the flight. I've got some reading material and I've got some listening podcast material to listen to while I'm on my flight. And so I'm leveraging time and being efficient, yeah. effective with time to constantly be absorbing. Also what I do too in my calendar every week, and here's something I learned, if something's important to you, if you don't schedule it into your calendar, it does not exist in your life. Mm. So the things that you want to accomplish and what you're solving for in your life and what you want to accomplish in your personal life, if you don't put them into your calendar, it doesn't exist in your life. I have also, I have an iPhone. So what I do is I actually have alarms. Yeah. That, that, so I have my calendar and I have alarms. So I'm always on time because here's something I discovered about my life is the power of our word. You see, we hear in business all the time, Sheila, that talk is cheap. I agree with that. But I also agree with this statement that a lot of people cheapen their talk. Their words don't mean anything. Yeah. They just throw things out there yeah. and say things. Yeah. There's no responsibility or accountability or integrity with what they're yeah. saying. Yeah. And so one of the things I always invite people to consider doing as an exercise, as a takeaway, is schedule some time over the next seven days in your calendar. Time block it called thinking time, thinking time. And I do this every week. I protect my time. I always qualify my time and also protect my time. And so I protect my time by also scheduling thinking time. And I schedule about three hours a week of just thinking time. And what I do is I think what I'm thinking about during my thinking time. Mm. I think what I'm thinking about. Later today, I'm going hiking tonight. Even though it's raining here in Vancouver, Canada right now, guess what? I'm committed to my commitments. See, even the weather today is not tomorrow. I'm going to get soaking wet today hiking. But guess what? I gave my word to myself to love and honor and respect myself, care of myself, my well-being of myself, to take care of who I am as a human being. So even though I'm going to get wet, I'm going to be uncomfortable. I'm still committed to my commitments. And I want you to consider, and I want people listening to this around the world, are you committed to your commitments? When things get hard, things get challenging, things get frustrated, you get impatient, you're getting rejected, things are getting uncomfortable, you don't feel good. Are you still committed to your commitments? Because success is not something we go out in the world to pursue. Success is something we attract into our lives by the person that we become. It's not something we go out and pursue. A lot of people go out and get MBAs and PhDs and college university degrees and you know, go all, get on the honor roll, all that kind of stuff, the dean's list, all that kind of great stuff. And they get out there and they're unfulfilled. They're empty inside. 
There's no fulfillment. There's no joy. Because what happens is they're out there pursuing, trying to climb a corporate ladder, a fantasy to arrive someplace that someday I'll be happy. It's wishful thinking, not going to happen. Been there, done that. What it is, success is not something we go out in the world to pursue. It's something we attract into our lives by the person that we become. It's becoming an attractive person. It's training and developing ourselves on a daily basis with daily habits and daily routines. And some of those daily habits and daily routines are non-negotiable. They're non-negotiables. You do them no matter what, no matter how you feel, no matter what's going on, you commit to your commitments. And that's one thing I've, I've coached and mentored and trained people over the years. I'm like, listen, I just want you to commit to your commitment to pay yourself first. So every time you get paid your paycheck, 10% of your net income goes into a savings account mm-hmm. or goes into an mm-hmm. investment account. Mm-hmm. Well, Darren, I can't afford that. Well, if the government came in right now, effective next month, so we're going to implement a, a tax, a 10% tax, you would gripe and complain about, but guess what? You would adjust to it. So I'm going to impose a, a family tax on you right now, an investment savings tax on your life, because we're going to start getting your money right. I impose that you're going to start reading 10 pages a day. I impose that you're going to do date nights once or twice a month. I, I impose that you're going to spend thinking time. And you start to create these daily habits and daily routines. And that's why I live my life. I have structured daily habits and routines. Now, some people say, well, Darren, that's too short. I can never live my life that way. Well, guess what? I used to do that too. But if you're going to go out and raise money, you want to be in a great, phenomenal relationship. You want to travel the world. You want to do lots of things. People are always watching and observing you. And when you have structure and a foundation, you have workability, people want to be around you. Yeah. It's very, very important. You know, I've met many people in the nonprofit space and bless them. They're great hearted people doing amazing things around the world. But a lot of these people could not write a check for a small amount of money. They wouldn't be able to pay their bills on time at the end of the month. And so they, you know, they're, they're great at giving and serving mm-hmm. humanity and loving people. Mm-hmm. But at, back home, in terms of getting their house in order, they don't have their money right. And that's so important. That's one thing we did with Link Foundation, with our family foundation, is that we wanted to get our money right first. You know, in my 40s, I focused the last, this decade in my 40s, because I'll be 50 next year. This decade in my 40s is all about getting my money right. Next decade for me is all about legacy. And we're actually planning for now a 250-year legacy plan with Link Foundation for Global Philanthropy. 250 years, three generations out. Yeah. We're thinking about in terms of solving for down the road. Most people aren't even thinking about what a two-week vacation is going to look like, and we're planning for 250 years. Isn't that mind-boggling? But we've got it a is. great team of people around us that we can you know, plan this out in terms of process mapping and, and strategic road mapping and metric and all this so that we can hit our milestones and our measurements, and we can make this with the intention, with our foundation, to eventually go bankrupt, go bust. That means we've solved the big global philanthropy problems around the world, and our mission is complete. Right. Darren, so um, if you had, I think that from, from your story and where you've come from, it looks like you've actually had to go through the mill to learn the roadmaps to become to come to where you are today. If yes. you had an opportunity to relive your life, is there anything you would do differently? Yeah, I would, I would have um, not hurt so many people in my early days by my integrity. I, I realized that without integrity, nothing works. And I didn't have integrity in my younger days. I didn't mean anything to me, didn't understand it. I didn't realize the impact, the ripple of impact I would have with my words and my actions. And so going back now, when I heard people talk about integrity, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know what that means. But I really didn't know what that means. I thought I knew from an intellectual level what integrity meant, 
but I didn't embody and didn't live it. My, my, my life did not demonstrate integrity. It demonstrated a lack of integrity all of my life. And what I learned and discovered in my life, when I got my life into integrity, my finances changed, my bank account changed, my relationships changed, doors of opportunities opened about me, global travel started to happen over a period of time. Because when, what I realized was one of my, you know, years ago, I had a mentor sit down with me one day. He was, you know, Darren, you're so full of it. You're so out of integrity all over your life. It just reeks with lack of integrity, like bad odor. You just reek of bad integrity. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm a man of integrity. And I got very confrontational, very aggressive. Mm -hmm. My ego started speaking to me. He goes, really? He goes, you open to an exercise? I said, sure. He goes, I want, I'm going to give you seven days. You've got, you, I want you to start at number 50 and count down to number one. I want you to come up with 50 areas in your life, personally, especially, where you're out of integrity. I'm like, I can't, I, I, I'm not going to come up with 50. He goes, oh, Darren, you'll fill the pages. Trust me. Mm -hmm. You don't know what I know. You're going to, trust me, Darren, you're going to fill the pages up. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. He goes, do you accept my challenges? Yeah, he goes, good. The clock's ticking. We'll see you in seven days. So I'm like, screw you, buddy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I left, right? A little cocky and arrogant. And I'm like, yeah, 50 things where I'm out of integrity. Yeah, right. So I call him up later that night. I said, listen, I, I, I'm confronting you. I can't get with 50. He goes, good. Start calling people that are in your phone and just ask them if there's an area of breakdown of out of integrity with you and that person. And start with your immediate friends and family. Yeah. Start with them. Start with people who love and care about you the most mm -hmm. that you've let down and disappointed. So I start calling people that are in my phone, that are in my address book. And I start calling them and I'm like, hey, is there a breakdown in integrity? Just be straight with me. Don't mm -hmm. be nice. Just be straight with me. Yes or no. And you know what? You know what's interesting, Sheila? I, I had a few hundred out of integrity, oh. a few hundred, not 50, a few hundred. And I went to work to restore my integrity on that list of a few hundred out of integrities where all these breakdowns to have breakthroughs. I started to re do my integrity list to restore. And I was way out of my comfort, very uncomfortable, very scared, very embarrassed, very raw and vulnerable and real. Like I was way out there. I did not want to do this exercise. Last thing I wanted to do in my life. To yeah. do this integrity yeah, test yeah. exercise. Yeah. Didn't want to do it. But I gave my word. And you know what was interesting? Mm -mm. My mentor was challenging me because he didn't think I was going to follow through. And what he also wanted to teach me was by me disappearing, because my thought was, well, I'm just going to not going to return this phone call. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stand him up, not see him next week. I'm just going to disappear. And that was my thought process. I'm just going to disappear. That's my brain telling me, just disappear. Don't ever see this guy again. But who am I hurting? Myself not hurting him. I'm hurting myself. Yeah, yeah. And what I realized and what I discovered for myself was this guy's testing me to see if I'll follow through. Because again, business talk is cheap, but most people cheap in their talk. And my words didn't matter. I just spewed words on my mouth, but they didn't mean anything. I'll give you an example, Sheila. Let's say example, you're going to have a, you, you do podcasts. Mm -hmm. And here's something I just want you to reflect for a moment and your listeners can reflect. You, you probably interview a lot of people all the time. And there's probably some people when you reach out to them and you send them the information, you confirm the date and time yeah. here to interview them. You're like, okay, they're going to show up. Yeah, and other yeah. people in the back of your mind, is like, do I have to send them a calendar invite? Should I phone them? Should I text mm -hmm. them? Should I email mm -hmm. them? Are they going to show up? I'm getting mm -hmm. dressed up for this. I'm getting prepared. <clears throat> I got a busy life and schedule. Are they going to show up? Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's, and so I want people to just take inventory for a moment. Just think about people in your life. Yeah. And when you have a birthday party or a family get together or a function or a barbecue mm -hmm. or some kind of event where you spend time and energy and money on, you invite people. You just know you tell them once it's in their calendar. They're going to be there. If something happens, 
unexpectedly, they're going to be in advanced communication, let you know, that, hey, there's there's road construction, there's a flight delay, there's mm -hmm. a motor vehicle mm -hmm. accident, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 15 minutes late. Yeah. But they're in advanced communication with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And other people, you're like, I wonder if they're going to show up. Do I have to send them a reoccurring calendar invite? Do I have to phone them, call them, email them, text message them? Do I have to go pick them up or arrange transportation for them? So just think about it. See, I was the one that when you would ask to come, you didn't know if I was going to show up or not. Oh, yeah. and, and that was the feedback I got from people. Darren, you're unreliable. Oh, yeah. You're unreliable. I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, you're unreliable. That's why we don't like you and trust you as much as we like you to. That's why we never do anything with you. That's why I don't ever give you any referrals or recommend things to you or ever do anything with you because we don't think you're reliable. You're not consistent. You're chasing shiny objects and squirrels as an example. You're, you're always out there chasing something different. So I discovered years ago to be focused, mm -hmm. stay in my lane, be consistent. And today I've got a great reputation and a great high levels of integrity as a report card. And I've got a great team of people that work with me, my group of companies that hold me to the highest standard and not only as a team, but as a leader, as a visionary of integrity. And that's so important because without integrity, nothing works. There's no workability. Yeah. And so I invite your listeners around the world to just look at your life inspect it, do an audit and just start to write down. You're going to be uncomfortable. Listen, you're not going to want to do this. You're going to be uncomfortable doing this. It's not a convenient exercise, mm -hmm. but if you want to have a breakthrough on the other side to an extraordinary life that you can create and develop by going through this and build a strong foundation where people trust you on your word, like your word, you could take it to the bank. It's just like a handshake. Yeah. Some people around the world, they yeah. shake their hands. It's like, yeah. that, you know, it's a done deal that your <laughs> word is power. Not your word is cheap. Your word is power. And that's what I mean. When I give my word to something, I make it happen. I get it done. And if not, I will renegotiate, but I'll be in advanced communication. But I make it happen. And if something should happen that's out of my control, then I will restore my integrity by being a I'll give you an example, Sheena. A few weeks ago, I went to get on a Zoom call. There was a group of us on a call. I didn't know anybody. There was a set meeting agenda, meeting attendees. And I go get on a Zoom call and I always like to come on a couple minutes early, mm -hmm. right? Just so I'm on time in place, yeah. settle into the call. And Zoom decides to do updates on my computer. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> and they've happened to you as well, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, my computer needs to shut down and reset. Yeah. And then my Mac, I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, I didn't have the cell phone number of the guy that I was, that was organizing the meeting. Yeah. I only had an email. And he was running the meeting and getting the meeting set up, bringing people mm -hmm. in. He wasn't checking his e inbox, his email. Mm -hmm. So I get invited to come on to this call, very high level call with some influential people internationally. I come on and there's all these people on the call on the Zoom video conference. They call, I come on and they introduce me. And I said, listen, I need to restore my integrity. I gave you my word. I'd be here on time and place. And I'm yeah. not, and I'm late. And you know what? The guy, the organizer is like, oh, no, no, Darren, that's okay. That's, that's okay. Don't worry about it. I said, no, 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 no. I am worried about it because there's people on this Zoom video conference call right now I've never met. And in the back of their mind, they're not saying this, but they're saying, can I trust this person? Yeah. This person reliable? This mm. person just disrespected my yeah, time. Yeah. They, just, they show up seven minutes later on this call and they barge in here. And now they're going to, he's going to try to speak to us. Like, who is this guy? And, and I said, listen, I need to just, Slow things down. Let's just pause. And I, and I just took time. And I looked at everybody on the screen on the Zoom video conferencing call. And I said, listen, I gave you my word I'd be here on time and in place. And a lot of you see me as a global leader. Somebody's playing a really big game in serving humanity. 
And I want to apologize to each and every one of you that I am late and my apologies. And what I'm going to do going forward is I'm going to make sure that my up, I'm going to schedule time in my calendar. When I have an important high level meeting like this, I'm going to schedule breakdown time a couple hours early, 15 minutes in my calendar to test all my electronics, test all my equipment, just in case it's a contingency plan. I'm going to schedule time in my calendar to, to just in case a breakdown was to occur, yeah. which we're dealing with a breakdown right now. Yes. And as I need to restore my integrity with each and every one of you, and this is not mm -hmm. how I want our relationship to go forward, going forward, you can rely on me to be on time and in place. Does anybody have any questions? And the room went silent on Zoom and they all looked at each other. And a bunch of people said, you know what? Thank you for honoring your word. Thank you for restoring your integrity. And thank you for not stepping over it. Because yeah, Darren, I was one of the people in the back of my mind saying, is this person reliable? Can I trust this person? This person, first impression is this person is showing up late seven minutes and coming in here. Why should I listen to this person? when they don't even honor and respect me and they don't even appreciate my time. Me, me qualifying my time to be here and now we're seven minutes late and this guy comes in here like this. So just take a look in your life. Just take a look. Where in the last week, couple weeks, month, have you done that with friends or family or business associates or colleagues where you just stepped over things and go back and phone that person. Listen, you know, a couple of weeks ago we went out for lunch and, um, you know, I, I apologize. I arrived 15 minutes late to the restaurant. And you're sitting there waiting. And that's, that's unacceptable. And I apologize for you. I value you as a friend or as a business colleague. And, and, and I'm not going to do that again. And just really get uncomfortable doing this work, this personal training development. And you'd be amazed at the lifestyle that it will create out of this by just restoring your integrity and creating workability where there's breakdowns all around you in your life. Because breakdowns create breakthroughs. Yeah. And what I mean by a breakthrough is something that's not working. Mm -hmm. So I mean by a breakdown, it's just not working. There's no, mm -hmm. there's no workability mm -hmm. in there right now. It's like my finances. I was a disaster in my finances. There's no workability. And so I went to look, where am I out of integrity in my finances? Where did I promise things I'm not following through on? One of them was with my landlord. I told him the rent check will be here on this date. You know how many times I kept on asking for extensions every month? And then I'd go and renegotiate the extension on top of an extension. And he's like, I just can't wait to get rid of this guy. He's such a yeah. liability, such a risk to me. I just can't wait to kick him out of here. But the, the laws where I was living, the, the tenancy laws, were not easy to tick, kick yeah. the tenant out. But I know the landlord didn't like me. And I went and sat down with the landlord and said, listen, this is unfair. Listen, I, I really appreciate it. And I, and I went and restored my integrity with my landlord. And I went and restored my integrity with people around me. I called the utility company. I said, listen, I you know I'm calling you. Like, I just work in a call center. I, I don't care. Can you yeah. put this me? <laughs> Take notes on this in the computer. I'm just restoring my integrity. Put, put notes on this. I just called in. I want to restore my integrity. <laughs> I think that this thing about the integrity you just mentioned is a big thing. And most, most of us, let me just make it clear. Most of, our, most of us fall short and we take it so for granted. You know, I'll be there at six and then I'm late, 6.30. And I don't think it's a problem for me to- You're an African time. Yeah. You're an African time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. African time. We never, we say, um, I'll be, what time are you, what time will you be here? 6, 6.30. We don't give you a definite time. We say 6, 6.30. So we are within, <laughs> but that's not right. And it's, you're always late. Or you, people just can't commit. You know, it's like, I, I want, I'll, I can't make it. So what should I do? Well, you in know, our group of companies, within the Darren Jack group of companies, some of our companies, we actually locked the Zoom room when we're doing virtual meetings. Yeah. We actually locked them. If people are late, we locked them out. 
And we met, we, we record that and we, and people know, and then they get knowing that, Hey, and then people on the team, like, man, like, like this person should be on probation or maybe we should get rid of this person. Yeah. Like people start to notice behavior. Here's something to remember. Yeah. Behavior never lies. Yeah. Behavior never lies. Time yeah. will either promote you or time will expose you. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. And, and, and we make it when people like, like our team with my group of companies, it's not easy to come work with us. We put you through a lot of, we put you through an, uh, an interview obstacle course mm. intentionally because mm. we're a high performance team. Yeah. And, and, and we don't want you to come into our environment and pretend you're a high performance player. Give an example. We, we always, we always use this analogy. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's like, we're going out to a swimming, we're going to a party. We're going to go to a swimming pool party. We're in somebody's backyard and they got a beautiful pool and they got barbecue and food and beverages and, and music and stuff. And we're having a really great time. And people are going in out of the swimming pool, having a great time. And all of a sudden one person decides to pee or urinate in the swimming pool. What happens? Everybody's going to get out of the swimming yeah. pool and you ruin the experience for everybody. Yeah. So what I always say when people are doing discovery or due diligence or, or recruiting or hiring people, bring people into their environment, mm -hmm. or their inner circle or their teams mm -hmm. or their family, mm -hmm. who's going to be that person that's going to pee in the pool? And people all the time are wanting to introduce me to people all the time. I'm always getting email introductions. You're going to connect with this person. So I'm like, and we're open to it, but we want to interview the person first. And the reason why is we don't want that person to pee in our swimming pool and create that ripple of impact. Yeah. Because we're a high performance team with high integrity. And we're, we're like, we're like a Navy SEALs. Like, like, you know, like, like our, our word is law. Like our team is tight. We're high performance. We're very, now it took a while for us to get there. But now we're really, really strong as a team. Great. Great. It looks like uh, the challenges you went through, um, Darren, really, really shaped you. And yeah. for me, so I've always said it here that we should always cherish uh, our challenges. Like today, I read from a post that Paula White put out. She said, mm -hmm. cherish your current status because yes. it's a stepping stone to bigger testimonies. And I think that is 100% true. So wherever Absolutely. you find yourself now, it may be difficult, it may be tough, but cherish it because it's preparing you for something bigger. So you have had to battle with fear, disappointment, rejection, you know, people putting you down, being evicted, sleeping on the street, all those things to learn different, should I say tests? To pass different yeah. tests, yeah. to be able to, yeah, because you had to learn how to save, how to make money and not spend carelessly. You have to learn um, how to, you know, and I think all of that is, is experience is something we can never buy. It's the greatest teacher, right? It, it's it like, is. I meet, I meet a lot of people who say, well, I've got an MBA or a PhD or mm, mm, mm. college. That's great. Mm -hmm. What can you do with it? Mm. Right. What exactly. can you do with it? Right. What, what can you actually do with it? it? It's like I, when we buy, I buy companies, we do mergers and acquisitions with some companies. And sometimes people say, well, I want this kind of budget for marketing or social mm -hmm. media marketing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, there's no money for that in the budget. Like, what do you mean? Go out and get organic and authentic and create it. Come together in a yeah. team, get the flip charts out, the whiteboards and brainstorm and collaborate with each other and team build and dream build and come up with some different organic ways of doing it. Yeah. Right. And if you yeah. just hand people stuff, yeah. then they become entitled to it. It's a different mindset. Get creative. See, I, I, I didn't have any money. Mm. Everything I've done is organically through hard work, perseverance, peaks and valleys, focus and discipline and falling up and falling through and then restoring my integrity. It, it came to that. It came, you know I mean? Like 
you know, I look at now my life and people don't see in the early days of making mm. all those phone calls and all that rejection and two, three, four, five months behind on my phone bill sometimes because I was making all these phone calls, all these mm. long distance phone calls across North America mm. and the phone bills are piling up and I'm Dang. making a phone call thinking it's the next call I'm going to make. Is the phone going to be dead? In fact, I actually was on a call one time with a guy who's a good friend of mine today um, who I actually was on a phone call with him one time on a coaching call and my phone got disconnected. And it took me almost a week for me to get my phone restored because I had to move around, you know, find ways to get some money and make things happen. And, and, and so things happen in our lives. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the interesting thing was, Sheila, I thought I was the only one that could hide it. So when I was dealing with all this financial pressure and owing money on the street and collection agencies calling me and creditors calling me and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and envelopes with bills not being opened mm -hmm. up and just avoiding all that, mm -hmm. I thought I could hide it. And it was really interesting. When I, when I didn't have money, I wouldn't go out in public. And then when I had money, I was out there in public spending money. And then people say to me, we know when Darren's got money, he's out socializing. <laughs> if Darren's broke, he's hiding. Yeah. And yeah. now I see that with people when I travel, I can see behavior because behavior never lies. So on social media, I see these guys out there that have joined some new opportunity and they're sitting in front of a Lamborghini knowing mm -hmm. that they're financially challenged, but yet yeah. the public doesn't know them because they haven't verified who they are. And yeah. they're selling this fantasy, this dream. Mm -hmm. And they're showing people all this lavish lifestyle. And yet behind the scenes, if you did your due diligence, those people Shabby. don't live that way. Mm. But they're selling the dream. They're selling the sensationalism. Mm. Right? So people mm. can get a dopamine fix and buy their products. I've seen many times over the years traveling and people are selling real estate courses. And yet, you know, business in a box on how to buy real estate. And the person, if they did their due diligence, doesn't even buy real estate, doesn't even have a portfolio of real estate. And yet they're selling real estate courses as a, as a platform salesperson speaker in front of a room. It's just out of integrity. Incredible. Wow. And so that's why you've got to do your due diligence. And, you know, there's a lot of great people in the world. I'm not doobie and doom and gloom. There's a lot of great people. But you still got to, you know, do your research and do your due diligence. And, you know, it's like in business, you hire slow, fire, fast. When you meet new people, build up that time, that relationship equity, get to know you and like you and trust you. Right? Don't just meet someone like I did in my early 20s at a birthday party. And the next day I'm taking tens of thousands of dollars out of a bank in cash to give it to these guys in a brown paper bag and then co-signing loans, loans and lines of credit. And then 120 days later, getting my car repossessed and being on the street homeless because I got excited. Uh, yeah. Later, yeah. What an opportunity. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, and Darren, it's been, uh, it's been great having you on the show. It's been, okay. I want us to talk about one other thing I saw sure. um, in your write-up about NASDAQ, that you rang the bell twice for that. How yeah, did twice. that happen? How did you? you know, because that is, yeah. It's, it's the second um, on the list of stock exchanges, isn't it? For so what, yeah, NASDAQ is one of the largest uh, stock exchanges in the world. Yeah. Wow. In how the did you get yeah. there? How, how, yeah. what was the well, Interesting story. So I, in 2011, I'm traveling the world doing corporate training seminars. And I wrote down in my journal that I want to get onto paid advisory boards and paid boards of directors of companies. Mm -hmm. And I went to all these people in my network and I was traveling doing mm -hmm. corporate training seminars and speaking at conferences. I was telling you, I'm going to get on paid advisory boards, paid board of directors in 2011. And people laughed at me, made fun of me. Like, come on, Darren. Mm -hmm. You, come on, Darren, you don't have a formal academic degree. You don't have an MBA or PhD. That's, that's a fantasy. Yeah. Well, in 2013, I got a phone call from a family here in Canada, high net worth family. I've been one for decades. And they said, hey, Darren, we're going to invest in this startup company. Would you fly back at your own financial expense from Vancouver yeah. to this part of Canada? Your mm -hmm. own expense. Most mm -hmm. people say, I'm out. 
Why, mm. why would I pay my own expense? Yeah. So I, I had the money put together. I flew back there and I went and met with this gentleman, incredible smart guy. And he had a, a company that he was creating a residential real estate company, a cloud-based real estate company with no bricks and mortar. And the guy's oh. a genius, he's a very smart guy. Oh. And I believed in his mission as an entrepreneur. Didn't quite mm. understand the business model back then in 2013, because it was very fast and very early stage and very forward fast thinking a few years ahead in the future. And um, that little company today has, uh, you know, 65,000 people in 19 countries around the world at the time of this recording. Um, it's a public traded company. It's a multi-billion dollar company. And uh, so I had a chance now twice to go to New York City and ring the closing bell at NASDAQ, not once, but twice. And I'm working on a couple other companies right now. Hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll have a chance to do it a few more times as well. It's just an incredible experience and i'm so grateful for the team of the yeah. people that run the day-to-day -day operations of this company uh, i've done well and serve a lot of people a lot of hard work and i'm just so proud of everybody in the company and the, the leadership and the team uh you know internationally we're in 19 countries again sixty-five thousand people in 19 countries when i started with the company we had a couple hundred people in the entire company great 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 it's been great having you today you've shown us that everything is possible in life and that we shouldn't allow people the words of people to bring us down rather to push us up. You've also taught us that a little bit of fear is good because when you had to be pushed out of your phone company to start up your own business, you were scared to start. But then it tells that the fear of thinking of not paying your bills, being homeless again, not putting food on the table and clothes on your back, pushed you to start your business and made over hundred calls alone solely. And that alone is teaching us a lot. I think we've led there a lot. I've been quiet today on the podcast and I've been soaking in a lot of the things you were saying. And I think you had said a lot of potent things today. And I believe that our listeners are going to enjoy. What will be your final message to our listeners as we wrap up? Yeah, great question. Yeah. Realizing that you're not alone, that um, you know, we're either coming for a problem, we're in a problem, or we're heading towards a problem. And that's yeah. the condition of being a human being. Mm -hmm. And the key thing is, is don't do it alone. Um, something to consider is that most of your goals and dreams do not require your actions. It's about making requests to other people and asking for help, asking for support. And don't isolate yourself. I did that for a period mm. of li my life and it, I struggled in silence. Um, and you'll realize that when you put yourself out there, vulnerable, deal with the real stuff at risk, uh, people will help you. People will reach out and want to connect with you and help you. And so you're not alone. And so don't suffer in silence is a big thing. Ask for help, ask for support, ask for mentorship, ask for guidance and be open because when the student is ready, the teachers will appear in your life. I'd like to say thank you very much, Darren, for coming on podcast with Sheila. Um, is there anywhere our listeners can connect with you? Yeah, they can go to uh, you know, darrenjacklin.com and I'm on various different social media channels. You can go to darrenjacklin.com and connect there. Uh, if people want to order a copy of uh, the Until I Become book, it's untilibecome.com. And I really dive deep into the strategies and unfold a lot of things that can really serve you in your life. I think a book is a great tool that you can take with you. And so it's untilibecome.com. And I look forward to hopefully seeing some of your listeners around the world in person, if not connecting to them online and social media. And uh, I'm grateful to be here and be in service and make a contribution. Great. It was lovely having you on podcast with Sheila today, Darren. Thank if you so been much. Listening in, this is season two, episode 26 of our podcast series, where we've been bringing your way seasoned guests with inspiring real life stories to share with us. Do not miss out on all these lovely experiences. Subscribe and be notified when a new episode is released. We have a video presentation of this episode on our YouTube channel. Just search for Podcast with Sheila on YouTube and you'll find us. Until we meet again, have a lovely day.